0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, we're going to get into the Word, and uh, as we do, uh, I want to welcome you to week two of a series that we just started last weekend, entitled The Gifts, where we are talking about how to discover and steward the gifts that God has entrusted to each one of us. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time and you weren't here last week, uh, let me start by going to our key text for this series. It is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. These are the words of Paul as he's speaking to a church that is trying to sort out how to use the gifts. And uh, he says this, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Everyone say each. Each of us for the common good. Um, As I mentioned last week, the purpose of this series was to pair perfectly with A series that we actually just concluded a few weeks ago entitled The Ghost. I'm all about pairing things well. This is the peanut butter to the jelly. This is the filet to the cabernet. Uh, It is the Nutella to virtually anything you want to put Nutella on. Uh, It is supposed to pair perfectly with that series because Paul says right here that it is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, who distributes all of the gifts. Uh, If you prefer the phrase we used last weekend, we said that the ghost is the gateway to the gifts. And he makes it clear in this text, not only has the Spirit distributed gifts to the church, he's given at least one gift to all of us. I can speak clearly into every eyeball in this room, you have a gift from God. God has entrusted each person in this room with at least one, many times, multiple gifts by his Spirit. And the way to discover true fulfillment in life is to discover why God made you, how he made you, and to get busy doing all of the things that he has uniquely created you to do. And hopefully that is the goal of the series and hopefully you discover that. So last week we spent uh, the entirety of our time together doing just that. We talked about discovery. Uh, we looked at the 18 different spiritual gifts that are listed in Scripture. Uh, we made those available on our app, uh, on the resource page. If you'd like to check those out, feel free to do so. It has the corresponding Scriptures for each one. Uh, but then we concluded our time together in Romans chapter 12, and, and we determined that it is not difficult to discover what God has made each of us to do. If true fulfillment is found in discovering our gifts and if God knows that he gave us those to build his kingdom, he would be a poor steward of those gifts if he made it difficult for us to discover how he's gifted each of us. So he makes it easy and we laid that out in Romans chapter 12. Uh, If you were not here, I encourage you to go back, check out the podcast, check out the YouTube channel, uh, because A, I want you to discover what God's gifted you to do, but B, the application of everything we say from this point forward is going to be a little challenging if we don't have the foundation first of discovery. However, uh, having discussed discovery last week, today we're gonna move into the second portion, the aim of this series, and that is stewardship. How do we begin to steward the gifts that God has given to us, or how do we use them for his purpose? purposes. And for that, uh, we're going to go back into this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. uh, And I want to pray before we do that, but we're going to begin to discuss one of the analogies that uh, we we discussed briefly last weekend uh, that Paul uses often when speaking about the gifts. He talks about a human body and analogizes the human body with the church, the body of Christ. So uh, as we pray, if you are the note-taking type, let me give you a title for today's chat. I want to call this Don't Be an Un. Don't be an un. And that makes zero sense right now, but fear not, it will in just a couple of moments. So let's pray as we get to the word. Uh, Jesus, we welcome you right now to speak to each one of us. We open up our hearts, we open up our minds. Uh, We did not come to church just to be entertained. We didn't come to church to sing some songs and hear some guy yap and then go home the same. We came here because we believe your word, your presence has the power to change us. So we give you permission right now. Speak to us, transform our minds, transform our hearts. And may we leave this place differently than when we walked in In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen, amen. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul goes on to say, after the introductory scripture, uh, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, the church. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but there are only one body. Okay, so there's a lot of body chat there, a lot of stuff he's talking about, and a lot to unpack. Um, And we could do... The, the, the basic teaching thing, kind of break this down, go dissect it surgically. Uh, I don't want to do that today. You guys know that I am a visual learner, and you know I'm a visual learner because I constantly provide visuals and props here to help, yes, entertain, but also to uh, display and, and, and describe some spiritual concepts. And today, I have what I would consider to be the greatest prop I have ever brought onto the stage. I would say it's better than the one my wife brought up here a while ago, which was a bathtub and a sword, which, which held like the highest, uh, the highest point, the echelon of all props. But today, I'm going to show her up. And, and I have brought with me this back here. I want to introduce you guys to a friend of mine. This is Bob. Bob the body. Everyone say, Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Here we go. Okay. So what I would, that's weird. That's creepy. Uh, what I would like to do for the next couple of moments is I want to look at this body and I want to begin to unpack some of the things that Paul said in this scripture. Um, I think if we, oh, he's staring at me now. Hi. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think if we, if we have this visual, it might help us to apply what Paul is saying here in this text. Um, And he starts off by mentioning a number of different body parts. He uses four, and we're going to use those four along with one additional body part. He says the hands, the feet, the ears, and the eyes. Um, I would like to also add the mouth to that. And what I want to do in the next couple of moments, if you'll permit me some creative liberties, is I want to begin to apply some of those body parts to our church. Um, just disclaimer, uh, I am going to contextualize this chat to the Father's house today, but I need you to understand that I do not believe that we and we alone are the body of Christ. When Paul speaks of the body, he is speaking of the church global, not just the church that meets inside 2850 19th Avenue on a Sunday morning. We are a very small part of a much bigger thing that God is doing on the earth. However, for application purposes, it's gonna be easier for us to understand what Paul's talking about if we just talk about our church. So we're gonna look at feet, the hands, the ears, the eyes, and the mouth. Paul says that uh, one of the body parts here is the eyes. So, <laughs> this is terrifying. Okay, stay. All right. Now, in our context, in our church, I would I would call the eyes the prayer people, the intercessors in our church, uh, those that have both the gift and the burden to pray. Uh, One of our key texts for our church is Isaiah chapter 62. And it says in Isaiah 62 that God will place watchmen on the walls and they will pray day and night for the state of the city. That's a word speaking of intercessors. And here at the Father's house, we have 46 people on a team that are intercessors. And they pray continually for the state of our church, for our city. They are the ones standing on the wall and interceding for what God wants to do in this community. If you ever submit a prayer request by way of our website or our app, Those are the folks that are covering you in prayer. Uh, Every week, they pray over the names that sit inside this box that we've written down. People that are far from God that we know need to discover life in Christ, they pray over those names. On Tuesday before pursuit, they will have a watchman workshop and they will pray for the prayer meeting because they are that spiritual. They pray for prayer. Like, that's seriously spiritual stuff right there. These are the seers in our church. Many of them also have the, the gift of prophecy and they have the ability to see in the spirit and they begin to declare, hey, this is what God is saying to the Father's house. So I would call them the eyes in our context. Uh, He goes on to say that there are some ears. Oh! Oh, he's done. Hold on. Don't mind me. There we go, some ears. I would say the ears and the mouth in our church are those who preach and teach the word and those who sing and those who declare and worship what God is saying. You know, I know that our worship teams and our our teachers, all week long, they are listening. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to the church right now? And as they hear from the Spirit, they begin to declare what the Spirit is saying over the Father's house. I would call them the the ears and the eyes. Uh, We've also got a whole lot of hands here at the Father's house. Uh, I would say that the people who serve on any given week, those who make church happen, these are the hands. They are busy doing the work of the ministry. There are 250 people on our serve teams every single week that make church happen around here. They set it up before we start, they serve in our kids' ministry, they serve in hospitality, they turn on lights, they turn on microphones, they do all the stuff that you see around you. They, They are the hands. And then I would say the feet of the church represent the people here who bring ministry outside of our walls. Those that don't just focus on what's happening here in our building, but they are bringing the gospel and the love of Jesus to other parts of our city and other parts of the world. I would say those who serve in our outreach pantry on Thursday afternoons, these are those that are bringing the love of Jesus to people in our community that need groceries, that need a tangible thing, and they show up every single week and they begin to minister to those people simply by providing resources. That is the love of Jesus. I would also say that, like Tim and Carol Jensen, these are two that are out right now from our church, uh, ministering to 8,000 Afghani refugees in an undisclosed location here in the United States that have come over here. They are ministering to those from outside these walls. They're being fed in this house, but they are ministering outside of this house. I would also say that those of you who find yourself in a season of life or maybe even in a call for your life to just minister to those in the workplace, you are also feet people that aren't necessarily called to minister in here, but you take what God's doing in your life through the church and you bring it to your workplace, to your tech company, to your group of employees, or whatever it is. I think about my friend, uh, David Lazar, who is the deputy police chief, and he comes to church every single weekend here on Sunday morning crazy busy schedule but he seems to show up every week at the nine o'clock service and then he takes what God is doing in his life here and he begins to minister to the 1300 officers that he oversees in our city and I've walked into different precincts with him and I've seen how he loves people and I see how he invites them to come to church and he is very open about his faith what is that he's afoot he is taking what God is doing in his life outside of this building and ministering to our community These are, in my estimation, what some of the body parts in our church might represent. Now, individually, they are incredibly important. They all serve an important function. But they only serve an important function when they work together. They are supposed to be interdependent. They are part of a bigger body. If they begin to think that they're not important or they begin to operate outside of the body, the entirety of the body suffers. If the ears say, you know what, we're good. I don't like the way the eyes are looking at me. I don't want anything to do with the body anymore. And they decide to take off, then we don't have any anthems to sing anymore. We don't have any teaching taking place on the weekends. We're not hearing from heaven what the Holy Spirit is singing out over the church. There is no dare to hope because the ears and the mouth have been silenced. That's the dark ages, if you're wondering. It was the ears and the mouth of the the church being silenced because there was no song being sung. If the eyes of the church decide we want nothing to do with this place, we're out for now, then all of the prayer covering of the church lifts. And let me tell you, you would feel it if the prayer covering of the church left. The protection that we're experiencing, the direction that we're experiencing, the grace that we're experiencing, it is the byproduct of watchmen on the walls contending for what God wants to do in this church. We need the eyes. If all of the hands decided, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this place. I am out and I'm done with it. You know what happens? This church looks a whole lot different on a Sunday morning if there's no hands. There'd be no smiling faces in the parking lot. There'd be no welcome home signs set up when you walk in. There'd be no music playing in the lobby. No microphones, no lights. This place would just look like a cavernous old man cave because that's what it is during the week. It would definitely not feel like, if James Wound decided he didn't want to be a part of the body anymore, that's what this whole place turns into real quick. If you don't know who James is, James is one of the greatest people on the planet, serves our church faithfully every single week, sets his place up, (laughs) sets up pantry. He's amazing. Our kids' ministry wouldn't exist. This would not be a distraction-free environment because our kids would be in here and they would be a very serious distraction every single service. All if the hands decided they were gonna leave. And if the feet said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this place any longer. I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of the body. Well, then all of our ministry would become insular and focused. What happens in this room while the rest of the people outside of this room are on the way to hell without a Savior because we were so focused on ourselves and not what God wanted to do in our city? They only work when they work together. Furthermore, as Paul says in this text, If everyone in the body was just one part, it becomes imbalanced. If all we have is eyes, then we waste away in prayer meetings, but no one ever gets saved. If all we have is ears, then we got a whole lot of creative people writing stuff, but nothing gets done (laughs) because they are the creative types that just sit around and talk about it. If all we have is, is some hands, then the ministry never goes out from this place. And you see how this all works interdependently. The parts of the body are supposed to work with one another so that the body can be complete. But let me tell you this. When every part is doing its part, When everyone in the body understands this is my function, this is my role, and they begin to operate in their role, there is nothing more beautiful than the body of Christ. There is nothing on planet Earth like the body of Christ functioning at full capacity. It is a light in darkness. It is a beacon of hope to the hopeless. It is the kind of church that we were just singing about a moment ago that God would use to send revival in a city. When everybody knows this is what I'm on the planet for, and they get busy in the body. So the million-dollar question for me, the million-dollar question for us becomes this. If this is the body that Jesus is looking for, how do I get that body? How how do we become the kind of church that he can use in a city like San Francisco, in the greater Bay Area, to see thousands of people come to Christ? I think it all comes down to a single word, and that's the word we're going to focus on for the remainder of our time together, stewardship. Stewardship. If we learn how to personally steward what God has given to us, then we become the kind of body that he can use for great things. So let's, let's talk about stewardship a little bit. I want to offer a couple of definitions, and as we do that, I want to go back to the Word. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says this, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Uh, Last week, we defined that word gifts as the Greek word charisma, which means spiritual endowment or divine enablement. Uh, And we also determined last week, according to Romans chapter 12, that all of us have received divine enablement to do certain things well. That thing that we think might be just natural is perhaps not so natural. It's a gift from God. So that skill or that talent or that leadership or that, that wisdom, that knowledge, It wasn't necessarily naturally developed. It was a gift that God gave to you. It is divine enablement. And we all have something in that realm. But then Peter goes on to say that we are to steward those gifts, steward the charisma. And this word steward, I think, is perhaps one of the most important words in the Bible because of the implications of of what happens if we don't steward it well. Uh, Oikonomos is the word in the Greek, and it means this. The careful and responsible management of something that has been entrusted to one's care. Think about gifts again as I read that one more time. The careful and responsible management of something that has been entrusted to one's care. In other words, stewardship starts with this understanding. Nothing that I have is my own. Nothing that I have. I don't possess anything, I am a manager but I am not an owner. God has given me everything and everything that he's given me is to be used for his glory and for his purposes. It is not my life. It is his life. Galatians two twenty. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is completely his. They are not my plans. They are his plans. Behold the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're good plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and purpose. They're his plans. It's not my money, it's his money. I may have worked to have a job and I got a paycheck, but ultimately it was a gift from him. And so it's not difficult for me to give because I understand that it was never mine in the first place. It's not my body, it's his body. First Corinthians chapter six. I was bought at a price and so I will honor God with my body. How about this? She's not my girlfriend. She is God's daughter. And so I'm going to honor her with the honor that she's due because she does not belong to me. That's going to preach to somebody. (laughs) They're not my kids. You knew it all along. They are not your kids. They are God's kids. And I'm going to steward them well while they've been entrusted to me. For those first 18 years of their life, I'm going to raise them in the house of the Lord. I'm going to teach them the word of God so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Everything I have belongs to God. That's stewardship. I am a manager and not an owner. And let me say this. Stewardship is a massive deal to God. He cares deeply about how we steward what's been entrusted to us. In fact, stewardship is ultimately what determines whether or not we get to walk in the blessing and the favor of God, or if we don't. In fact, side note, let me say this. I think stewardship is one of the reasons that God continues to bless our church. I think it's one of the main reasons that we are seeing what we are seeing right now. Uh, just, it's been obvious if you've been coming here for more than six months, but the church is growing. God is adding people to the house every single week. Uh, right now we opened our doors back in February. We have doubled in size since we reopened our doors in February. God is doing great things here at the father 's house and I, I often have conversations with other pastors. People have heard about what 's going on in here, and I get phone calls and texts and they ask like hey what's what 's the secret sauce over there you know Is it, the, is it, is it the, the service order? Is it your social media? Are you guys marketing really really well and You know, people are looking for the answer, like how how do we experience what you're experiencing? And I wish I could give folks a really complicated, like if you just follow the strategy and this plan, then God will do the same thing in your church. I use the same two answers every single time someone asks me, here's what I say, Jesus and stewardship. That's it, that's it. Let me be clear. None of this is happening because we're all that great. We're not all that great. If we look great, we're just fooling you. (laughs) Like the worship here is amazing, but it's not the worship that's growing the church. The kids' ministry is amazing, but it's not the kids' ministry that's going to church. The people are friendly for the most part, but it's not the friendly people that are growing the church. The preaching is tolerable on most weeks, but it's not the preaching that's growing the church. None of those things are growing the church. Jesus is building his church. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that's doing this. However, we've done our part in stewarding what he's been entrusting to us. Think about this, if Jesus is a good steward, and his greatest resource is people. He is scanning the earth going, where can I send some people? What place can I entrust people to? What do you think he's looking for? I'll tell you what he's not looking for. He's not looking for a church that's looking to grow a crowd. He's not looking for a church that's looking to grow a social media following. He's looking for a church that's gonna honor what he asked them to do in Matthew 28, 18, to go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus knows if you're gonna take personal responsibility for people and you will make them disciples, then I will continue to build what you are trying to build over there because I know that they are going to be stewarded well. And I say this every single week at the conclusion of every single sermon. We've got this thing, it's called First 40. And for the first 40 days of your faith, we are gonna teach you how to read the Bible and how to pray and how to get water baptized. You know what that is? That's stewardship. That's just saying, I'm going to take personal responsibility for the people that God is entrusting to us, and Jesus seems to be really excited about that. Hey, if you will disciple the people I'm sending to you, then I will continue to send you the resources that are most valuable to me, and that is people. But you know what else that tells me? That tells me that our continued growth is predicated on those in the house taking seriously the call to leadership. So if you are a leader, but you're not leading right now, then let me just say... The future of this church depends on you stepping into the body and doing what you are called to do. So perhaps it's time to get busy and start leading. No pressure. (laughs) Now, that was a very long rabbit trail, and I did not say that in the first service. So let's come back to the measure at hand. Perfection is perfection, so I'll try to understand. Sorry, I can't quote Dre in church. All right. (laughs) If stewardship is such a big deal to God, then, then, then let me ask you the confronting question. How are you stewarding the gifts that he's given to you? Have you done well faithfully stewarding what he has entrusted to you? Have you been sitting on the sidelines letting other people steward those things? And if the answer to that question is, I don't think I'm stewarding them very well, let me offer three reasons why that might be. What I would consider to be the three reasons that most of us are not stewarding what God has given to us well all of which start with the prefix un, hence the sermon title, don't be an un. Un number one. Undervalued, undervalued. I think one of the main reasons we are not stewarding what God's given to us is because we are undervaluing the gift that he's given to us. One of the greatest ways to diminish what God can do through you is to undervalue what he's given to you to suggest that it's not good enough. And I think there's a number of reasons that we undervalue the gifts that he's given to us. One of them, insecurity perhaps. Just, ah, it's not very, I'm not very good. It's not very good. I haven't developed it. Another one, perhaps comparison, looking at how somebody else does something and how they've been more available to be used by God and your schedule doesn't allow for that. And so when you compare your life or your availability with somebody else, and ah, undervalue it maybe it's even the damaging words of somebody else that undervalued your gift and their words are still ringing into your ears and like "Ah." yeah I remember what my dad said I remember what the coach said and I'm not going to step out there and put myself out because I know it's it's not all that great there's a number of reasons that we undervalue our gifts and I think one of the greatest lies of undervaluation is that it is a posture of humility we think Oh, it's just me having an honest estimation, the fact that I'm not that great. Can I tell you that that is a lie? That's not humility at all. It is not humility to look at the one who created you and say the gift that you gave me is not all that great. And if you want me to do something for you, you're going to need to give me a better gift or make me better at this thing. That's not humility. That's pride. Pride. True humility is saying, I know that I'm not all that. I understand that I still have faults and failures and all the stuff going on in my life, but the greatest thing I can bring to Jesus is my yes, and so I will give him my yes, and I will step in in all my brokenness and all of what I consider my disqualification, and I will do what he is asking me to do. That's a lie. True humility is understanding that his power is made perfect in your weakness. That's humility. And let me just say this. The thing that you might think disqualifies you might be the very thing that actually qualifies you to be used by God. Seriously, find one person in scripture that was qualified to do what God asked them to do. You will not find a single one of them. They do not exist. Go down the list. Moses, unqualified, murderer. David, unqualified, adulterer. Samson, unqualified, womanizer. Rahab, unqualified, prostitute. Matthew, unqualified, tax collector. No one even liked the guy. Peter, unqualified. He denied Christ three times. Paul, the guy who's telling us to use our gifts, he actually killed the Christians for a little while. Very unqualified for the task. And yet, it is this this group of unqualified individuals that Jesus looks at and says, if you will just give me your yes, watch what I will do with your life. The thing you think should be undervalued might be the very thing that God uses to, to launch you into what he's calling you to do. I remember years ago, I was reading a story about Stephen Furtick, the lead pastor of Elevation Church. And he was sitting in his office, and he was preparing a sermon, listening to YouTube. And uh, there were songs playing in the background. And if you've ever listened to music on YouTube, you know that the algorithm just continues to take you to the next video, and the next video, and the next video, unless you stop it. And uh, while he was listening to music, a video popped on that was not music. It was uh, a conference that was being held at another church in the United States. And there was a proctor asking a panel of other pastors some questions and the game was I'm going to say one word and when I say that word I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind and uh, first they started out with some silly stuff and then they started talking about some highly debated theological issues in the body of Christ and then this arrogant group of pastors decided they were going to start dropping names of other pastors in the body of Christ and they wanted to hear what the other people had to say first thought that comes to your mind when you hear that name well, as Stephen Verdick is sitting there in his office, suddenly he hears his name come up at this, at this conference, and he stands back, and he goes, I am very interested to hear what's going to be said. I don't know the guy asking the questions. I don't know the pastor who's going to answer the question, so let's see what these guys have to say about me, and as he hears his name, this arrogant pastor sitting in his throne sighs, puts his head down, and he says, Unqualified. And then for the next couple of moments, he just begins to talk trash about a person that he has never seen or met before in his life. And Stephen said, at that moment, I had two options. Option number one, I could do what I wanted to do, get on social, oh no, you didn't, you piece of dependent. Or option number two, I could realize he's right. I am unqualified. And it was never my qualifications that God used It was my willingness and my obedience to be used despite my disqualifications. So you know what Stephen did? He wrote a book and called it Unqualified and he sold millions of copies and made piles of money and he told a whole lot of other unqualified people, hey, even though you don't qualify, guess what? If you will just give God your yes, he will use your life in miraculous ways. The very thing we often think disqualifies us, the gift that we're undervaluing might be the thing that he's gonna use to build his kingdom. Does he have your yes? Do not undervalue your gift. Number two, unmotivated, unmotivated. These are not necessarily people uh, that lack confidence in their giftings. These are people that just lack motivation. They have become comfortable consumers of Christianity without contributing. They, They just sit back and enjoy the journey. They might have a gift. They have just no urgency to use it. And there's, again, a number of reasons that people are unmotivated to use their gifts. Some, it's the very real uh, argument of schedule. Like, I I have so much going on in my life, I don't have any margin, and and there's no way that I can give all my time to what I want to give my time to. So since they feel overwhelmed by the fact that they can't give as much as they want, they just don't give anything, and they sit back unmotivated. Sometimes, if we're honest, it's just laziness, There is this idea out there that life just happens to me and I take no initiative and if we're not careful, we can begin to apply that same thing within the body. We're just lazy and we don't do anything for God. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding of the church's function. Some some believe that the church is an institution that exists to serve them and not a a body that they're actually supposed to be a part of. And so they don't give and they don't serve and they don't participate. But then when their life falls apart, they expect the institution of church to come rushing to their aid because ultimately the church is there to serve them, not them to serve the body. I'm just throwing some thoughts out there for consideration. Sorry if that's painful. (laughs) However, let me me offer what I would consider to be the most common uh, unmotivated statement in our church. Again, we're contextualizing this today. I think one of the reasons that many in this community find themselves unmotivated is because For a while you were motivated at a previous church and you did give and you did use your gifts and you continued to use them every single week at every single service and you were never able to receive and you were never able to be filled back up and so you just emptied and emptied and emptied and emptied your tank until you got burnt out. Then after you got burnt out, you tapped out of that community and said, listen, I can't be here anymore because you guys have used me and you've abused me and you found another community that you could begin to get healed up and restored in. Let me say this, if that is how you got here, there is zero pressure for you to begin to pour out right away, okay? Heal up, get restored. I am happy to be the tank where people come and they get restored and God begins to fill them back up with the life that they need so that they can begin to grow again. So do not hear this incorrectly. However, let me caution you. Do not stay in that place forever. Do not excuse poor stewardship of your gift because your previous pastor poorly stewarded their position. Somebody abusing your time, your schedule, your gift does not mean that you never need to use it again for the body of Christ. God gave you that gift to be used in the body, and the body is bigger than your last broken church. So lest you become a a rogue foot or a rogue hand or a rogue eyeball, Make sure that after you get healed up, you immediately begin to use what God has gifted you to do again because that is why you were created. And if that's your lack of motivation, just again, hear my heart. Get healed, but then get busy. There is no fulfillment outside of that. Last one, number 3. Unredeemed. Unredeemed. This is a big one. Let me read you what I would consider to be one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In other words, your gift is your gift whether you use it for God or not. Let me tell you why I think that's scary. I think that's scary because you could be using the gift that God gave you, but for the wrong purpose. You could be using it in a way that God never intended. Back to Bob, the body here, for just a moment. Peter says, God's given each and every one of us a gift. And that gift functions correctly when it's in the body. But then he says, let me define what it means to steward that gift correctly. He says, stewardship is serving one another in the body. In other words, the definition of stewardship can be this. It is me using my gift for the benefit of the body. If I'm using my gift outside of the benefit of the body, then it is an unredeemed gift. It is not being used for its intended purpose. It might be being used amazingly in the secular realm, but if it's not benefiting the body, it's not why God gave it to you. He gave it to you to benefit the body. I was talking to a guy at our church a couple of months ago, and he, was, uh, he is uniquely gifted in the area of business. God used him to build a great business, and he made a bunch of money, and he was really successful. But then when he came to Christ, uh, his whole life kind of crumbled. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how that happens sometimes? And, uh, and he's like, wait a minute, I thought God was supposed to give me everything, but God brought him back down to humility so that he could rebuild him correctly from the ground back up. And after everything had been stripped away, he said, I feel like I'm supposed to lay everything back down at the altar. I'm supposed to give God this gift of business and and leadership. And I think I'm supposed to go to seminary and learn how to become a pastor. And, you know, that's the real work of the ministry. And I said, okay, I hear what you're saying. and, And maybe, maybe that's what God's called you to do. But can I offer another perspective? Perhaps the gift that God placed on your life wasn't the problem. It was the use of that gift that was the problem. Perhaps it wasn't that you were never called to go out and build business and be a leader in the business realm. Perhaps it was just that you were using that to feed your ego and line your pockets, but it wasn't for God's purposes. Maybe the best thing you can do is not go off to seminary to try to become a pastor, but to go back out there in the business world and to absolutely crush it, be a leader in your sphere, leverage your influence to tell other people it's Jesus that's made me a success, and then make a ton of money and give it to the Father's house, because that is what Jesus is calling you to do. (laughs) And it was like a light bulb turned on for the first time. He's like, that was the first time I saw that gift redeemed. It was the first time I saw that God could use something like business for the purpose of the kingdom. That's what a redeemed gift looks like. It is something that you already had the natural ability to do, but you're using it for the benefit of the body. Now, in his case, his unredeemed gift was being laid down in humility, but I don't think that that is often the reason that we don't allow our gifts to be redeemed. If I'm being honest, And I apologize if this sounds offensive, but it's the truth. I think that the reason that most times gifts remain unredeemed is because of pride and entitlement. Many people in the entitled realms think, well, I do this for a living at a very high level outside of church, outside of the body of Christ, and if I'm going to do something like this in the body of Christ, then it's going to warrant equal compensation for my services. It's entitlement. Pride on the part of those that say, well, I do this at a really high level in the secular realm, and they see the church as something beneath or below. It's the real world out there. It's this little world in here. And so to use my gifts and talents for that is like casting pearls before swine. It's, it's, it's pride. <laughs> but, but let me remind you, as I did to my friend, emphasis on a different word, God gave you those gifts. God entrusted that gift to you it is not ours to determine who when and where that gift is used we are called to be a good steward of what he has entrusted to us and if he's called us to benefit the body then it is not my decision as to whether or not that is beneath me or i should be compensated for my services this is something that i gladly give back to the benefit of the body because i know that god gave it to me in the first place and let me say this, you will never find fulfillment until you are benefiting the body with that gift. You will search for it in every other area, but there is not a paycheck large enough or a business big enough that will bring fulfillment. Once that gift is being used for its intended purpose in the body, it doesn't matter any longer because you will find what you were created to do. This is why I'm on planet Earth, unredeemed. I think that those three reasons or why many don't steward the gifts, undervalued, unmotivated, and unredeemed. But if you find yourself in any of those three categories, let me issue just an encouragement, admonition, if you will. And, and, and you guys know me, I don't generally end sermons on a heavy note, but if I'm gonna steward what God has called us to do well, then I need this, I need this to sit correctly because this is the truth. What we must understand, and the band can come as, as we conclude with, with this statement. Stewardship doesn't just affect the earthly state of the church, it also affects the eternal state of our souls. In other words, what you've been given to steward, it's gonna follow you into eternity. It's gonna matter for eternity. Jesus, one day, he was speaking to his disciples and he was uh, telling them a story as he often did, a parable, a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. And uh, as he's telling his disciples a story, he's entering into this subject matter, stewardship, and he uses the phrase, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, as he often did when he told stories. And, And I mentioned a few weeks ago that anytime you see that phrase in scripture, you can replace it with the phrase, Jesus is like, because when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, he's speaking of himself. So he says, I am like this. I am like a master that is about to go away on a long trip before he leaves, he calls together three of his servants. To one servant, he gives five talents of silver. To another servant, he gives two talents of silver. And to the third, he gives one talent of silver. And then he goes away on a long journey and says, I'll be back. While he's gone, the first servant takes those five talents, he invests them, and he receives another five talents in return, now he's got 10. Second servant takes his two, he also goes to work and doubles his, now he's got four. But the last servant who received one talent, he takes what he's been given and he buries it in the ground in hopes that it will be safe until the master returns. When the master comes back, he brings all of his servants to give an account for what he's entrusted to them. To the first two that used wisely what they had received, he looks at and he says, "'Well done, good and faithful servants.' You've treated wisely what I entrusted to you. You will be blessed as a result of what you've done. But to the one that buried his talent in the ground, the master looks at him and says, you wicked and lazy servant. At least you could have given my money to a bank and I would have earned some interest on it. But you buried it in the ground and you've done nothing with what I gave you. You will now be punished as a result of treating what I entrusted to you poorly. So, The question then becomes this, what is Jesus talking about? What does he mean when he says, I am like a master that will go away on a long journey, but when I come back, I'm going to ask you to give an account for what I entrusted to you. I think it's pretty obvious. Jesus showed up on planet earth, lived a life that none of us could live, died a death that all of us deserved, resurrected on the third day. Looked at his disciples and he said, hey, I gotta go, but I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. He's gonna release the gifts. And I want you to do something with those gifts. I want you to build my kingdom here on planet earth. But don't worry, one day I am going to come back. And when I do, we're gonna talk about what you did with what I left with you. In fact, according to Romans chapter 14, everyone who is called on the name of the Lord will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be asked, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? At that moment, our answer should be, I stewarded well what you gave to me, not I buried it. This is, this is, this is important. These are the words of Jesus. The way we steward what he, gives, what he gives to us has eternal consequence. The relationships, the opportunities, the money, and yes, the gifts, he's gonna ask us, hey, what'd you do with those things? And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. There are only two words I want to hear at the conclusion of that conversation with Jesus. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Tim, if that's my name in heaven, I don't know. (laughs) Bob, (laughs) you did a good job with what I gave you. Yeah, you missed a few opportunities, but listen, you leveraged everything that I gave you for the purpose of my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy that's been set before you. I would bet that every single one of us in this room wants to hear that phrase from Jesus, which means while we live in this dispensation of grace between the time that the master left and the time that the master is going to return, then we better get busy stewarding what he has given to us well. What is that? What is he entrusted to you? Are you stewarding it well? I land today with the same scripture that got us into this conversation. I've made a couple of embellishments just for the sake of concluding, but first Peter chapter four, let this sink in and strike whatever nerve it needs to strike in your spirit today. Since each one of us has received gifts, we must use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. Why? Because it matters for eternity. My prayer today, is that as we assess what's been entrusted to us, we would be found good stewards. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and we'll pray as we conclude. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. I know that uh, this might be heavy for some, but but Father, I, I pray that we wouldn't leave discouraged. We wouldn't walk out of this place feeling like we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And I'm just, but we would be inspired today, inspired to get busy building your kingdom. Lord, I I pray for every person here that maybe came from another community or been out of church for a while and they were using their gifts at one point, but they haven't been using them for a while now. Would you you just begin to stir up some passion again in their hearts, some joy, some fresh vigor, that they would love, love, love the house of God, that they would love what you're doing in in this city and beyond, and they they would see their place in the body in the midst of it. I speak to every disconnected hand, every disconnected foot, eye, ear, mouth, all of the parts of the body that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing right now. God, would you bring us back into place so that we can function well? May this community be known as a body that you can use for revival. And as we conclude, I I, I wanna make an opportunity for anyone who would be here in the room today that would say, hey, Tim, I, I have been disconnected from the body, but I don't know that I was ever a part of it. The greatest gift that any of us have received is the gift of salvation. The fact that Jesus gave his life on our behalf so that we could end up in eternity with him. The best way to steward that gift is to simply receive his love and receive his forgiveness. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, Tim, I'm far from God and I don't wanna be any longer, I'm away, I need to get things right with him. I wanna pray with you before we conclude. But before I pray, just wanna ask if you'd be bold enough, no one's looking around, but would you quickly lift up your hand and say, Tim, that's me, I need to get things right with Jesus. Thank you, man, I got you right there. Got you there in the back, Missy, yeah, about there in the back. Awesome, right over there, two of you guys right there. Awesome, yeah, both of you right there, awesome. Lots of people saying yes to Jesus, come on. I'll take it. Okay, I wanna want pray, and you can just repeat this prayer in your heart, but the words are not as important as just the condition of your surrender today. You can say, Jesus, today I give you my life, I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple, to find my place in the body. Forgive me of my sin and set me on a course, walking towards you from this day forward. Lord, I I believe that as you help me to be your disciple and walk in your ways, when I breathe my last here on this planet and I'm standing before you in heaven, that you're gonna say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. I give you everything and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we just thank God for that 10 or 12 or so that came to Christ this morning? It's awesome. It's awesome. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.